everyone, Katie Quinn here. Welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast, where I talk with creatives and entrepreneurs in the food and travel spaces to get you inspired because passion begets passion. And we need that during this crazy COVID situation just as much, if not more, than usual. And let me tell you, today's guest, Dina Begum, is definitely going to get you inspired. She brings so much passion and joy for what she does, which is really to share her beloved Bangladeshi cuisine. So Dina is a British Bangladeshi cook and writer living in London, and we talk about how she found her groove in the food world after a career sitting behind a desk, and the events that led up to her being one of the foremost spokespeople, really, for Bangladeshi cuisine. We also talk about the importance of distinguishing this cuisine rather than lumping it in with all the other South Asian cuisines as, quote, Indian food, unquote. Dina and I shot a video together for my YouTube channel a couple years back now. We made lentil fritters, or dalabora, and I will link to that in the description box. Dina is just lovely. I mean, she really, she just brings a smile to my face just thinking about her and her big smile. Um, she's just the sweetest, sweetest person. She's not just sweet, though. She's also a member of the Guild of Food Writers. She's written for Great British Chefs. She has hosted Bangladeshi pop-ups at Darjeeling Express as a part of their Women in Food series. She's the author of the Brick Lane Cookbook, and I hope you find a kindred spirit in her just as I did. As with all of these COVID-era interviews that I'm doing here over Zoom, it is reliant, of course, on internet strength and also microphone capabilities on either end. So please excuse any less than ideal production situation here. Thank you for being understanding, and I hope you get a lot out of this conversation. Dina is lovely, and without further delay, here she is. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Woohoo! Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> Yay! It's good to see your oh, face. God. No, good to see you. Where to even begin with with everything that you're doing and everything you've done? Um, I guess I'll start with with your cookbook because I have it in front of me here. Oh, brilliant! It is called the Brick Lane Cookbook, um, yes. and it features a lot of the different dishes and vendors. Um, on Brick Lane in London, which is one of the most famous strips in the whole city. So how, what is your relationship with Brick Lane? Take us back. Um, it's, um, I guess it's just childhood memories. You know, I arrived in London or in the country when I was four years old and my dad had been in England since probably his early mid-teens. So from, I don't know when, probably the late 60s or something and um, early 70s something around that time um my math's awful so um so my grandfather um was here from probably the 60s and then my dad joined here my uncle a lot of my family were in the UK. Um, so my dad went to Bangladesh, got married, and my mum, my baby brother and I arrived here in 1984 when I was four. Um, and my dad was a, well, was a leather tailor, so he used to work in kind of leather factories, um, tailoring kind of leather jackets and clothing, that kind of thing. Um, and one of the reasons why you know, I have a strong connection with Brick Lane is that we live in that kind of borough, and um, 
he used to work just on or off bricklaying. There were kind of huge abundance of leather factories around that time. So textiles was a huge thing, you know, as you probably know. Um, and um, so in the kind of 60s, 70s, 80s, up until probably the early 90s, leather goods were a huge thing along with clean. And um, so every Sunday, which would be his day off, he would take me along and we'd do, you know, the grocery shopping and just general kind of, you know, go to the market. There used to be, there is a market now, but it's predominantly food. Um, but before it used to be kind of full of all sorts of things, you know, bric-a-brac, you know, just kind of, um, um, I don't know, American, you guys, do you know what bric-a-brac is? I do know what bric-a-brac is, and it's like one of my favorite sayings. When you said it, I got so happy inside. It's, it's such a cool saying, isn't it? It's bric-a-brac, it just sounds really playful. I know, bric-a-brac on brick lane, it's perfect. Bric-a-brac on brick lane, so you'd have basically all sorts of things, you know, anything, you know, like mirrors, jewelry boxes, toys, books, clothing, everything, you know, kind of things from I guess, you know, other places or exotic places. Um, so it was all kind of really mysterious and just really interesting for me, you know, <laughs> as a child. So from the age of probably about four or five, I'd start going on Sundays with my dad to Brooklyn and we'd have wonderful memories. And to be honest, apart from the stores with the food and all, all the other nice stuff, my main reason for going was the food. <laughs> so yes. I've always been greedy child so um we'd stop for lunch in between shopping and just you know he'd chat to his friends and a lot of them have the same days off you know on the sunday so he'd you know stop and chat you know here and there and you know just say hello to the traders um and we used to go to this um amazing pakistani cafe which is no longer there and they'd have this you know shit kebab you know gulab jamun round brown fried dumplings like donutty and then soaked in syrup and they're really popular across south asia um, so this cafe used to have the you know the best gulab jamun kebabs you know freshly made naan um, oh. so that's what I used to really look forward to and you can smell it across the street and it's so popular and um, I love that and I think um, getting all the kind of produce and my mother cooking afterwards go home and just learning about all the different vegetables and just you know for me that was just seeing all the different cultures and communities there you know and, yeah um, and it's it is what makes a, a city like London so special mm-hmm. is kind of like this this mixture of cultures and then of course for people like you and I we appreciate how that is expressed through the food on offer yeah, how have, how have you seen the brick lane of your childhood memories change from the brick lane that is today which is still very diverse still mm-hmm. a ton of great food offerings what what has that change looked like um, I think the main kind of change I would say, maybe the people, um, obviously the traders have changed a lot. Now it's majority food, I would say, whereas before it used to be, the food used to be, you know, at the actual kind of cafes and restaurants along the street, but then there used to be very little kind of food stalls, I would say. I don't recall many, maybe they were, but um, so it was mostly clothing and other kind of stuff, um, you know, um, groceries as opposed to cooked food. Um, so I think that's been the major change and just seeing the more of the local people there was now, I think, you know, as you know, probably it's a bit more kind of hipsterish. Um, so it's become more gentrified, I would say, right. um, which, you know, in, I mean, a lot of people have a lot of things to say about gentrification, but I don't think it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, always. So things, places, things, everything changes, you know, eventually. Um, but it's just about also, you know, I think the nice thing is also to keep some of the original features and some of the kind of um, just be mindful of what's already there. And I think you can definitely work around and coexist um, rather than kind of bulldoze your way and take over an area and just shift everyone over. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
the bulldozing is when it gets when it gets yeah that's when it gets heartbreaking (laughs) yeah heartbreaking is a good yeah well and so you know brick lane itself has undergone well, well like a lot of changes over the years like way back in the day it used to be where like all of the Jewish immigrants settled, right? From like Poland, they came in. And so there was a lot of like Yiddish spoken over there and a lot of like the bagel stores that are still still over there. So Bangladeshi cuisine is kind of your, well, your home cuisine. And then then it's also one of the things available on Brick Lane, right? Um, Yeah. Kind of, or not as much? Kind, kind of. I would say kind of, just because a lot of the, I'd say, you know, again, I use that word authentic because, you know, for want of a better word, but there aren't as many kind of homestyle places, you know, gotcha. the kind of foods that I kind of grew up with or we have at home, you know. It's definitely yeah. a curry, but that's kind of like the generic curry, which isn't, gotcha. you know, like I say, Indian or Bangladeshi. Got it, got it. Okay, yeah, we're like kind of the... <laughs> westernized version i guess westernized yeah yeah okay so so you are bringing bangladeshi food to the forefront though in your content and what what you are creating what you're making at home what you're sharing um why are you why are you motivated to basically bring bangladeshi food to to the masses to the people do you know, I think the main reason, I mean, obviously, apart from loving it, and it's what I, you know, the food of, you know, my parents, my mother, grandmothers, it's what I grew up with, and we ate, you know, all the time, we would very rarely have, I don't think we had takeaway ever, apart unless it was from my uncle's restaurant when we were growing up, <laughs> um, so we didn't go to a restaurant until way into my late teens, you know. Um, so everything was about home cooking, cooking from scratch, cooking kind of, you know, traditional recipes. Um, my mother is an amazing cook, you know, as I mentioned, and my grandmother. So they, not only can they cook well, but they love cooking. They're just seeing that passion that they have for the cuisine, um, just taking the time to kind of not just do the kind of the basics, but also um, making snacks, you know, special kind of occasion dishes and always being kind of, really meticulous and I think that's what I grew up Mm. loving and I just wanted to share that and it's just kind of it's important to me to preserve those dishes and recipes and you know I guess it's common with probably a lot of immigrant communities and cultures abroad when especially you know second generation third generation you tend to kind of sometimes lose that and maybe not intentionally but because you're embracing a new country I mean I arrived when I was very young so I know a lot of my friends were certainly kind of um just because, I mean, I love food and it's different. And I had kind of, I guess, people were really passionate about food at home and cooking, not just food. Um, but I know a lot of my friends, um, my peers, they weren't, you know, who were Bangladeshi, that interested in Bangladeshi food. They wanted to kind of have, you know, the more, the trendy, you know, the pizzas and the pastas and everything that was out there, and which is also great, you know. But um, it was almost kind of not the cool thing to want to, enjoy or embrace your own cuisine um, from your kind of religion into your culture and um, so in that sense a lot of it was kind of I found beginning to be lost or people didn't know how to cook it anymore and that's something that I felt really passionate about and I thought you know why is it so important why can't you love both you know why can't you um, embrace the cuisine like I do you know I love all things you know most British things you know I love baking which you can't get more British than that you know but why can't they coexist? As I say, you know, you can't, you don't have to choose one or the other. And for me, that's whether it's my personality, the way I am as a person, you know, in terms of clothing, 
what I do or how I cook or, you know, the friends I have. I think it's about embracing everything. You know, it's not about, you know, I've never gone and made friends being selective. I've got to make friends with my own community. I've got to, oh, I can't do this or this is different. I've always been different in a good way. Something that I don't know that I would love to know more of. And, you know, um, and I, I just love the differences that we will have that bring us together, whether it's food or our cultures, our clothes, everything. And naturally, you know, you grow up somewhere and you embrace those things in that context. And, you know, as teenagers everywhere, whether you move countries or not, you want to kind of fit in. Um, yeah, teenagers want to fit in. Yeah, exactly. more than anything. You know, teenagers, young people want to fit in and that's just natural. Um, but I think it's just about preserving those things, the stories, the memories, and Spanish food isn't written about in English as much, you know, very, very little, um, especially when I started anyway. So your YouTube channel, which is called Dina's Food Story, you're bringing Bangladeshi food to everyone and kind of step-by-step showing how to make some of your favorite dishes. So I'm curious about, so you named your channel Dina's food story. What yes. is what is your food story? How would you describe that story? And is there a beginning, middle, end, or are you still in the middle of it? The whole story is to start exposing people to Bangladeshi food. Um, and a lot of the times, you know, the last question, which I kind of waffled on a bit about, but the whole one of the other points was the importance of differentiating between Bangladeshi and Indian and Pakistani food, and mm. kind of letting people know what it is. It's not just South Asian food or Indian food as it's sometimes called under the umbrella of. So people, you know, sometimes think, you know, because it looks very similar in terms of aesthetically, that it's all the same. It's all Indian food. And Indian food has become kind of the popular thing abroad, you know, in the West. Um, so which which made sense obviously originally because it was India, you know, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh were one country. But now that they're separate countries, it's not about becoming kind of um, it's one of the things conversations I have on social media sometimes with friends from India and Pakistan. Um, it's not about becoming nationalistic and saying, oh, you know, this is my cuisine and it's better than yours, or you know, you have to know about this. This is the right way. There's a lot of overlaps, you know, whether it's South Asian cuisine or anything, you know, there's overlaps with South Asian cuisine with Western food, you know, in some ways like preserves, for instance, you know, jam making, chutneys, you know, there's a lot, the whole link, as you know. Um, but it's about kind of just sharing, like I said, with anything, sharing the kind of the interesting, the uniqueness of that culture and community and saying, hold on, you know, um, it isn't just one thing. Um, you can, sometimes people are very, um, and I think one of the things that frustrated me a bit was people were very curious about just say, I don't know, when I compare it to pasta, I guess one of the things, easiest thing all the different types, all the different things, or bread, or um, different types of, I don't know, um, pastries or patisseries, people are very, very particular in the Western sense. But when it comes to South Asian food, or my cuisine in terms of my, you know, cultural or, you know, native cuisine, Bangladesh food, and we forget kind of the kind of the minute details, but people kind of lump it together with something else that's sometimes totally different. Um, obviously, there are overlaps, and I just wanted to kind of celebrate that and I think it's um, just kind of honouring each cuisine and each country in a sense that you can kind of coexist but at the same time you can kind of um, say hold on you know this is uniquely Bangladeshi or this is you know uniquely this or that and just kind of enjoying that rather yeah. than kind of being a little bit dismissive I think sometimes people can tend to be like that um, and I think it's changed a lot 
over the last maybe decade or so. And I've seen that in the Indian food, people are more interested in regional cuisine and all the different kind of details. Um, but there's so well, much, and I don't know either. Well, I, well the, thing that, the thing I love about that is it's really encouraging people to just take interest and, and be curious, you know? Yes, so absolutely. Of saying, oh, everything, every, it's all Indian food. It's like, no, like, put, get some curiosity about what you're eating. And I, yeah. I, think the, um, I think that the comparison to pasta is so spot on because maybe – 20 years ago, people were like, oh, all pasta is pasta or something in, in other mm. parts, not Italy, obviously, but yeah. in other parts. And now I feel like there is a general knowledge and acceptance. And, you know, I, I think even like people are proud to know that like, oh, orchiette comes from Puglia yeah. and tortellini comes from Bologna or something like that, but kind yeah, of like absolutely. the that makes sense that that exists, of course, in in other parts of the world. It's not a new cuisine. It's been around forever, but it's just been known as Indian, I guess. Right, you know, right. As with other kind of in Pakistani food or something else. Um, but so it's important, I think, not just to share recipes, but also to talk about why it's different, what are the key flavours, what are the key techniques um, and traditions, you know. Um, so giving talks, uh, writing about Bangladeshi cuisine and food history, as well as, you know, sharing recipes, you know, featuring or doing videos. Um, I did a spice um, blend course for Yodomo. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're a makers kind of focused um, web platform. So they kind of feature people who make stuff, you know, whether it's kind of um, grame, you know, pottery, um, spice blends, which I did. So um, so that was really nice to kind of showcase Bangladeshi food I guess, to people who weren't familiar with it and say this is why it's kind of, you know, unique and these other two flavours. And I know loads of people um, who tried it just think, oh, you know, I wouldn't have thought about putting this spice in it or this spice mix in it or just how adjusting something that is so small can completely create a different flavour. And it's not sometimes about using a completely different or new spice. It's about how you use those things. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. It changes something completely. How, I mean, what made you have the confidence and kind of wherewithal to decide to take this um, path in your career? Because it's not an easy decision necessarily. And there's no, there's no clear path for, for what you're doing. No, definitely. You know, some days, and I think a lot of us have this, you know, feeling when we're freelancing or doing something creative, I guess. It, you think, wow, I'm just working all the time. And yeah. it feels like you're working every day almost. And there's, it's very, I almost feel guilty sometimes when I take a day out, day off, not doing anything. I'm not actually doing something. And I still do, you know, even though you don't consider it really work, work, but social media, um, it, it's work, you know. Um, yeah. It's all the time. And I guess the reason I started kind of, launching into it full-time was I was going through a very, you know, I've often talked about it, but difficult time in my life. And this was in my early 30s, um, you know, about um, 33, 34, um, early mid-30s. And I was made redundant from my job, so my position was no longer available. Um, and, you know, I suffered a kind of, you know, some health issues. I know I had a bit of a bad back. And um, when I've had ups and downs in my life, it's not, you know, that I'm a robot and I suddenly get up and, you know, everything's fine. You know, we're all human beings. But I think one of the things I've been, I would say, lucky to have is that kind of resilience in my life where I've had awful things, you know, kind of I've had to challenging things I've had to deal with. 
Um, but I always try and, you know, I guess try and turn them around somehow. Um, and I don't try and dwell on them too much. And I think when those things happen, people kind of expected me or, you know, in the nice possible way, just to kind of take time out and just not do anything, just kind of relax. And, you know, my family were like fussing over me and I thought, you know, that's all very nice, but um, I need to do something because if I don't feel like I'm creating something out of, you know, all this sadness, I guess, you know, all this kind of disappointment, then I won't be able to move forward. And I've always been like, since I was very young, something happens, I kind of get up and I think, what can I do? How can I move on? How can I fix it? Hmm. Um, and, you know, so I did have a bit of time out when I thought, you know, I've always loved cooking and I, 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 you know, I was cooking a lot then because I wasn't going out too much because of, you know, physically not being able to. And, um, and I don't, you know, you're probably the first person I'm speaking to about this on air. You know? <laughs> so it's, um, I, and I just thought it's, um, cooking is something that I'm in, in control of, I can do, I love, and how can I, so that's when I started my blog, food blog, and I thought, I've wanted to do this for a while, but then, you know, it's busy as work, etc. and I thought, this is the time to kind of cook my way out of grief, I guess, and that's probably what made things easier to deal with, because I thought, I'm going to cook every week, I shared a recipe, um, I cook something, and just having people, apart from my family, I, you know, shared it more with friends, um, taste those things and seeing the joy in the face um, you know I'm a feeder and I love feeding people and sharing food and it made me stronger and kind of get find myself again you know try to sound it made me find myself again and I thought this is something I love and I've always wanted to kind of focus on but I didn't really get the chance or the opportunity and I didn't think it could be a career and that gave me the motivation to think hold on you know people are actually wanting to pay me to do stuff you know with them in collaboration and um so it, could, it can be a career, you know, and I love writing, which is one of the things people don't know. They think, you know, um, I, I just went into food writing, but I've written short fiction poetry since I was very young. And, um, you know, I've had short fiction published and poetry published before. I guess it makes me happy, you know, it just makes me happy when people kind of want to know more about people, you know, it gives people joy to have good food. You know, when you enjoy, you know what it's like when you have something that you it's really delicious or something different or unique and you're happy food makes you happy and I think that's something very universal and no matter who you are where you are in life you can have something delicious that gives me more happiness than kind of I guess achieving more things or you know reaching the next goal and I am very kind of a goal driven person and I'm very um motivated in life and I think you know I would have a you can always have these like five-year plans, three-year plans, and I think you have to have a plan and a serial planner. And I think, but at the same time, not losing sight of the goal, which is sharing the joy of food or language. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, Dean, I think that that is a perfect place to wrap up, and I could talk to you forever, but our time, <laughs> our time is just about up. Um, let me end with asking you, how do you keep it quirky? Well, you, you're my motivation. <laughs> I see all your posts and I'm like, wow, that's quirky. I guess, you know, for me, being quirky is doing something old-fashioned, back to basics. Ooh. You know, like preserving, making a traditional pastry, 
you know, covering a spice then. And I just think you can't get quirkier than something that your grandmother, great grandmother, somebody made hundreds of years ago. You know? That's awesome. I love that version of quirky. It's so good. Dina, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I will tell people how and where to find you and link to it in the description of the podcast. Um, until then, though, is there any? Are there any parting words? No, I just want to thank you, Katie, because you know I think it's great. You know, I, I love your podcast and I love your videos, and you know, just you know when you find a kindred spirit when you know you can see like I see the joy in your face when you share the food and you work so hard you know sharing recipes sharing techniques and you know I guess I'll just say thank you for kind of reaching out and I'm glad that we're friends oh that's so sweet I'm so happy we're friends and I agree that I have found a kindred spirit in you too. Thank you. And hopefully once this is over, we can share food and I'll make some delicious Spanglish things. Yes, I am into it. I can't wait for hugs with friends. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Bye, Dina. Take care. Bye. Dina, thank you so much for coming on the pod. You all can follow her at Dina's Food Story, D-I-N-A, Dina's Food Story, on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow this pod on Instagram at Keep It Creepy Podcast, and you can follow me at QKatie. Thanks, as always, to the musician who wrote and performed this theme song you're hearing, Funky BQ. Also, I'll remind you to keep it quirky, as always, and to rate and review this podcast if you dig it. Thanks so much, everyone, and I'll see you back here real soon. Peace out.